really fancied someone. Um, it might have been at school, it might have been more recently, perhaps you're in that uh, kind of frame of mind at the moment. And just as Valentine's Day was approaching, you were thinking, I would really, really love a card from that person. I'd really, really love them to invite me to the cinema. We can have our first slide up, that'd be great. Um, and you would drop hints, perhaps at school, you'd try and sit next to them in class, you'd give them a nudge, perhaps you'd send them a quick note, anonymous note, of course, across the classroom. Perhaps you'd try and sit next to them on the bus and drop a few hints. And then, of course, along comes Valentine's Day. Um, if we can go on to the next slide, it would be great. Um, and you go downstairs to see what's in the post, and there's nothing. And then you go to school, and they don't even look at you. And you go home thinking, well, maybe they're just saving it up for after school, and they go off on their bus, and you go off on yours, and they don't say anything. Because no matter how many hints you've dropped, they just don't get it. There's a few people I can see that's bringing back a few memories there. Um, and if you go on to the next slide, and if you can think of perhaps a, a, a tricky subject at school, for me it was maths, and you would go into maths, apparently this is a simultaneous equation. Um, if anyone could get the answer, then uh, well, I haven't got a prize, but uh, I certainly wouldn't be able to get the answer. But the teacher would explain it to you once, maybe explain it to you another way. You go through the whole lesson and you still don't understand it. And because you don't understand it, you go to the next maths lesson and they try and explain it again. And then they give you homework on it. And you still didn't understand it. So you'd ask your mum or your dad or your gran. And they would explain it in a completely different way. And you just get wound up and frustrated and really annoyed that they didn't explain it in the right way. And you still didn't get it. So no matter how many times someone explains something to you, you just don't get it. And if we go on to the next slide, this is me. Um, <laughs> five years at medical school, several different hospital jobs, several different uh, GP jobs, hundreds of lectures on it. And uh, I still can't work out which medicine you're supposed to use for which illness. I just don't get it. Um, that, that last one's a joke, so please don't report me to the, um, to, to the GMC. I saw a few worried faces around the room thinking, I'm not going to go and see him if I feel unwell. You see, just no matter how much evidence you have in front of you or how many times something's explained to you or how many hints uh, someone gives you or drops for you, sometimes we just don't get it. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, let the words that I speak be guided by you. Amen. So, in, I'm going to try and do this in less than 60 seconds with the next slide. The story so far for Jesus in Mark's Gospel. Right, you ready? Jesus had collected his disciples together, taught in the synagogue and amazed the people with his teaching with authority, removed an evil spirit from a possessed man, healed the fever in Simon's mother-in-law, drove out many demons, cured a man with leprosy, cured the paralysed man who came through the roof, confronted the Pharisees when they accused him of blaspheming, when he said that he would forgive sins, and about fasting, and about working, and about healing on the Sabbath, drove out even more demons. He told people and the disciples about God's kingdom using parables of the sower, the parable of the growing seed, and the mustard seed. He calmed a storm. He healed a demon-possessed man, brought Jairus' daughter back to life, stopped a woman bleeding, gave powers to his disciples to remove evil spirits from people, fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, and had 12 basketfuls left over, walked on water, took demons out of the Syrophoenician's daughter, made a man who was deaf and mute hear and speak again, and fed 5,000 people who were starving after three days with seven loaves and a few fishes and seven basketfuls of bread left over. And yet, after witnessing all that, all this amazing, mind-boggling, supernatural, extreme, astounding things, the disciples get into a boat, can I have the next slide please, 
with Jesus and then start panicking because all they brought with them was one loaf of bread. It's quite hard to believe, isn't it, after witnessing all that stuff that the disciples just did not get it. They didn't get it on two levels. They didn't get it on a human level because, of course, they were starving. They've just fed 4,000 people. They must have been absolutely exhausted and starving hungry. So on a human level, they were letting their stomachs overtake their minds. And don't you think if you've just seen Jesus feed 4,000 people with a few loaves of bread, you think that perhaps Jesus would look after you with your one loaf? And then on a second level, the spiritual level, they didn't get it on a spiritual level because quite clearly they did not have the faith in Jesus that he was the son of God. Yes, they knew he was a magician, could have been a magician, he could have been a very clever man, he was an excellent teacher, but it just had not sunk in that Jesus was the son of God. He was there to tell people about God's kingdom. He was the Messiah, the chosen one, God with us. They'd seen all that evidence, but they just did not get it. In a way, I feel sorry for the disciples, actually, because if you think about it, they were just normal people do, doing their normal jobs when uh, he walks past and tells, tells them to follow him. And uh, that must have taken a lot of guts and a lot of courage. And uh, although they've seen these wonderful things, it must be really, really hard if you're a normal human being to suddenly realise that you're working for the Son of God. So I kind of feel a little bit sorry for them that they hadn't quite sunk in just yet. It must have been pretty amazing. Now Jesus said, as uh, we've just heard in the reading, why are you so talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? You can almost sense Jesus standing in that boat with that loaf of bread and saying, duh, are you stupid? Well, of course, we know that Jesus was never spiteful or unkind, but we do know that he was very frustrated at that point. Jesus then went on to say, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And I can almost imagine Jesus standing there with the loaf of bread in the boat and using it as a prop. And that's why he talks about the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. Because what he's trying to explain is for the dough to rise into a loaf of bread, you need yeast, obviously. And what he was trying to say was to build the kingdom of God, then you need to understand it. You need to have that knowledge within you to be able to grow the kingdom of God within you. He was a bit worried about the disciples, because if the disciples didn't understand, then how were the Jews going to understand and how are we going to understand? And when he used the examples of the warning the disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees. He's worried because the Pharisees want God to set up a kingdom for the benefit of the Jews and not the other way around. They want to observe the rules of the law with great strictness just for the benefit of themselves, not for the benefit of the wider community. And he was a bit nervous that the disciples and others would go down the track of the disciples, uh, the, the Pharisees, sorry. And he was also worried about the yeast of Herod because of course Herod was the king of the time and what Herod wanted was God to provide a kingdom where the royal family were in charge. And he was a bit nervous that people would be distracted and go down that route and worship the royal family rather than worship God. So Jesus was getting nervous that they weren't understanding and that they might be distracted by these other things. So why doesn't Jesus just stand up and give the answer? Why doesn't Jesus just stand up in that boat and say, hello, I'm the son of God, wake up, 
I'm sent from the Father with a mission to save people from their sins, to give hope to those who believe in me, that they will have eternal life. And the reason that he doesn't do that, if we go back to the maths example, is that if the teacher stood up at the beginning of that maths lesson to explain simultaneous equations and, this, and, and then just told them what X and Y meant, then how are the people in the class ever going to learn how to do it? Just telling people the answer straight off doesn't help them understand it, doesn't help them learn it. And Jesus wanted his disciples to see all the things that I've just listed that have happened already in Mark's Gospel so that they had a deeper understanding of why he was there so they could then go on and spread the word to other people. So how does this all relate to us today? If we come onto the slide, do you get it? Well, we come to church, don't we, and we witness firsthand the effects of Jesus. We see the effects of Jesus' love. Pat spoke really well about David, and David's on our mind a lot at the moment. As a, as a man who does demonstrate Jesus' love and, and, and teaching for other people. We see all this around us. We listen to sermons. We hear testimonies. We see with our own eyes people growing in Christ's love. But when we leave here, what dif difference does that make to us? How does it affect our relationships, our families, our work, our way of life? Do we really get it? Because if we don't get it, what yeast are we putting in our dough? It may not be the yeast of the Pharisees or the yeast of Herod, because they're not around anymore, but it could be the yeast of money, the yeast of debt, the yeast of materialism. It may be the yeast of addiction to drugs or alcohol. It may be the yeast of ambition taking over our lives so we become the top, the main person, the head, head honcho. It may be the yeast of self-pity, always complaining about my life is so terrible and how much worse my life is compared to somebody else's. So as I come to a close, here are some questions. Are our lives outside this building different to what we are like when we're inside this building? Could someone say about you, they just don't get it? Do you get it? Can you keep on ignoring it? Will you do something about it? Will you change your life to be filled with the yeast of Christ? Christ? 